Okay, folks. Hello, and welcome to your late, late、uh, capitalism show. We、uh, once again are without a chance. We don't have a chance, folks. This week,、uh, I was talking to Chance today. Asked him why he couldn't show up,、uh, and he said he was going to a, a place called Poopies on the Strip.、Huh. Yeah. Can you believe that? He's going to Poopies without us. <laughs> was that was from like a movie you guys were sending in the chat today, right? Something. What? Oh, it was a Jack Nicholson quote. Oh yeah.、Something. If you yeah, know, was, you know. God, that was ancient. Yeah, poopies on the strip. <laughs> We really don't have enough Jack Nicholson like celebrities nowadays. Just some We, old guy. Oh my god, no. Like cranky, but still kind of affable. Like yeah, he also looks creepy as hell. Yeah, he looks、yeah. he looks like creepy and revolting, and like you know, seems like sort of a sleaze bag, but like.、Mm. You know, none of that sticks to him. You're just like, no, that's Jack Nicholson.、That's、he、awesome. seems like he grabs women's asses at the Oscars. I、hey, feel like that happens. Uh, well, let's be fair. Danny DeVito also has that vibe, but is the complete opposite. Is like、no. the sweetest little man. Yeah, every yeah, character he、wholesome. plays. Yeah, but every character he plays is like some gross scumbag.、Mm. He's pro union though. Go,、yeah. Danny DeVito. We love Danny、mm. DeVito. Uh, Jack Nicholson's probably pro union, but only the union of between a man and a woman. I actually don't know what his thoughts on gay marriage are. I, I yeah, I don't care about what his politics are at all. I just I like him just to see him. I like to look at him and be like, "There's my guy." It's interesting because Robert De Niro, famously like a handsome kind of stud, has extremely liberal politics, like annoyingly so. Jack Nicholson, kind of ugly and gruff, keeps his mouth shut. I don't think he understands what voting is. Yeah. And that's exactly what we need from all of our actors. I don't care、mm. about、uh, you know anything they have to say because they are you know they're they like to play pretend. Like why would you take anything that they say or do seriously?、Uh, Dean, I shot you. You're dead. <laughs> you don't have special armor that's bulletproof. Well, <laughs> you're、I、not、tried. a wizard. <laughs> no. Okay. Oh shit! Hang on, my、yeah. phone's ringing. Who is it? Wow! All no, right, this, this is in. no. Yeah, this is this is all gold. This is staying. Record Dean's phone call. <laughs> uh, is it、I'm, someone important? Yeah, there's no such thing. He,、uh, he says he says Dean is gay. Well, while we're still on this, I just want to say、uh, Mayim Bialik has taken、yeah. over. She's like.、Uh, Yeah, it it takes it takes two losers to do a Trebek's job. They have、mm. Bialik and Ken Jennings like co-hosting. Like one does one week, one does the other.、Ew. It's very strange.、Uh, but do you know what I learned about this Bialik character?、Uh, this like you know Zionist freak that I have、mm-hmm. to look at every week、mm-hmm. um, is that she has a PhD. Yeah, you didn't know that. That's like her whole thing. That's Which, why she's like, on the Big Bang Theory. That, that's yeah. The, that's the thing. Is like you know, being a sitcom actor is depraved enough, you know. And then you add on top of that that she has a PhD and could be doing something like actually worthwhile or meaningful to the world, but instead wants to pretend to like Star Trek on TV. That also, is terrifying. Like sucks. Like she's not yeah, a good no, actor. Yeah. Yeah. Also, like completely、it. talentless. I'm not sure. Anyway, this is just what I stew about. Whenever again, I'm made to look at a woman on the television. Dude, on on、mm. the note of sitcom actors being like depraved and stupid, did you ever hear the Norm Macdonald bit about how Matthew Perry thought he invented sarcasm? No, what? Yeah, so Matthew Perry was on SNL in like the late 1990s, and he like pitched a a sketch that they ended up doing about him like teaching sarcasm at a university. But like Matthew Perry's like aide was like, oh yeah, he like he calls it Matt speak. Enormous. Oh that's, my god! That's he, so he, cool. He thinks he invented sarcasm. <laughs> It's uh, just look up like Norm Macdonald, Matthew Perry when you have the chance. It's delightful. It's got a punchline that I do not want to ruin because it's one of the funniest things Norm Macdonald has ever said. And、uh, that just tells you all you need to know. Now, if I were a sitcom actor, which is the the dream for me,、uh, yeah, I would、that's... also be depraved and stupid, but in a good way. Yeah,、oh, no,、okay. yeah, for sure. Nice for you. Like, yeah, I would, I would have like male PAs carry me on a throne to set each day, and they'd all be shirtless. Like for again, for a normal person, again, like sitcom actor is is a a, a lower caste. But <laughs> stop、uh, referring to it. Like all that. right,、uh, but for like you know a podcaster, that's sort of the highest thing we could ever hope for is 
the the sitcom job. What what would be your your like classic sitcom character? Like what what uh, I'm I want to be like a sort of like uh, womanizing epic guy. I think mm. I think I could do like that very well. You're you're gonna mm. be Barney Stinson. I'm gonna be Barney Stinson, but like I only ever talk about like postmodern literature. I feel like uh, the chicks will really dig that. Before I tell you, I've got a joke for you, Dean. You want to? You want to? You want to be on a sitcom? We sit calmly each week for this show. So hey, buddy, congratulations. <laughs> right. uh, hmm. Let's see. What would my sitcom archetype be? There's so many. There's so many great ones. You have, yeah. you know, like Megan's Heroes, Homer the Simpson, and Peter Griffin, where you have <laughs> yeah. the stupid, like, yeah, the, you know, the drunk dad. Yeah. yeah, the oaf, but lovable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got your your rambunctious little scamps like Bart Simpson and Dennis the Menace. Well, Bart the Simpson and Dennis the Menace, technically. Yeah. Uh, I think, hmm, this is tough. I would probably well, be like a one-off character uh, in like a late 90s sitcom where like I'm in drag because I'm gay. And that right. would be the whole like reveal. It's just like, oh, this woman's a man. And that would be mine. Cause I, I don't think they would cast me for anything else because I have a uh, latent onset school shooter face. <laughs> True, yeah. I feel like you'd be like a kind of star burns from community kind Aww. of guy, but gayer for sure. That'd be odd. They should have yeah. made him gay. That would have been a real character dynamic. Yeah. Uh, they, they call him cum shot. <laughs> That's his nickname. That's his clever okay. nickname <laughs> given to him by Abed and Troy. Because he just has a stain on his face all the time. Because <laughs> yeah, he's constantly sucking cock. <laughs> <laughs> what, Megan? What's your sitcom character? Hmm. Are you are you going to em- emulate your the greats, or are you cutting your own well, path here? Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of like I used to really want to do plays and stuff when I was. A child, but I never uh, got cast because I'm extremely bad at acting. <laughs> um, but one time I got to be a narrator, so I could be like the omnipresent <gasps> voice. So okay. many voice potentials. I, yeah. I like that. Yeah, you, so you're like the sort of Arrested Development narrator. I like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I like I, that. Or I, the How I Met Your Mother one. You know? Okay, Bob Saget. Cool. Um, oh, oh, oh. That was Bob Saget. I never yeah. watched the show, Bleak. but good for him. Uh, yeah, no, I always imagined that you would be, uh, either Apu or, mm-hmm. uh, the guy. Stop before you get more <laughs> racist. Khan Supernusen phone. Yeah, you could have been Khan. You, you might have even been the guy who runs Shitty Walk in South Park. But yeah, you, you could be Long Dong Duck from Breakfast at Tiffany's. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So many potential voices Megan could excel at. (laughs) Should we move on to our main topic for the day? I thought that was our main topic. (laughs) Oh. uh, Yeah, we have to go through which sitcom characters we would each be, and we have to touch on every single sitcom character ever written. That's uh, the show today. Before we get into the meat of it, I should probably say my piece on the current school system, because if I save it to the end, people are going to be sad. Okay. Go nuts. Uh... So, folks, we can all agree COVID is over, right? Hashtag COVID is over party. Hashtag conquer COVID-19. Now, I know you look at the wastewater results for cities, small little cities like Kingston or Ottawa or Toronto, and you may see that we are, in fact, more (laughs) infectious than ever before. And it is spiking. But it's really important that you shut the fuck up about it. All right, please. Doug, he needs this. He can't go out like his brother Rob. He can't go out smoking so much rock that he uh, transforms into a quarry. You need to just let him do his thing. Now, I am involved with the school, which is a suspicious way to say it. I'm technically <laughs> yeah, not employed by them. I'm technically a volunteer. Yes. Yeah. My relationship to speaking. school, it's complicated. Yeah. So, in my experience working in a school, things aren't good. We have so much staff shortage that uh, oftentimes people that are not licensed teachers, such as myself, are just asked to teach three, four, five days a week. Uh, Currently at the area I'm in, we do not have a principal, vice principal, office secretary, head EA, uh, most of our support staff. We just don't have anybody available. We have about 10% of our student population have had COVID in the last two weeks. 
it's not going well. And this is not an isolated incident. I was speaking to a friend of mine who is from Cornwall and talked about how one of the schools in their district just shut down completely because they do not have the staff to actually teach for seven hours in a day. Hmm. So, you know, schools, always full of cooties. I think we can agree. Dean, you got your cootie shot, right? Uh Oh, God, how many times do I have to re-up that? Yeah, uh, well, it's been 10 years, so it's probably best. It's like the tetanus shot, uh, where if you get cooties now and you are not fully inoculated, we will have to put you down. Oh, so, God, yeah. You know, and, like, the, the worst part is, like, if you get cooties later in life, it, like, becomes shingles. Yeah, <laughs> that's, what, that's what happened to Forrest Gump. He got yeah. cooties when he was really young, and it made yeah. him walk. <laughs> that's why his legs were like that. <laughs> yeah. I should have gotten my shot. There weren't, <laughs> there weren't enough bullies back then to give Forrest Gump the cootie shot he needed to develop herd immunity. Mm-hmm. He does get bullied in that movie, famously. Yeah, not enough. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Tom Hanks deserved more. He knows what he did and what he continues to do. Or the clone of him. <laughs> yeah. So... Uh, if you know an educator, if you know someone who works in any role within a school, uh, please avoid them, for they are carrying mm-hmm. a new form of pestilence that has been cultivated in the Petri dish that is uh, every single child ever. <laughs> but also, uh, you know, show them your support, show them your empathy, clap for our teachers, uh, go yeah. outside their houses at like 5 a.m. and bang some pots and pans together to let them know that you care, Okay. Uh, that's, and that's and, sort of basically the only thing you can do to help them. Yes. I cannot make this known well enough. Do not support teachers, uh, especially if they're fighting for better contracts that allow them to get out of this. You should support the government because, right, the government represents us, right, collectively. So if you yeah, don't so yeah, support all the of government. us versus teachers, basically. Yeah. Like, yeah, Which, like, oh, that's you know, we, I love my teachers. I support my teachers. Uh, so long as I can complain uh, at every dinner party I go to for the rest of my life uh, that, like, I just don't see why they should be paid so well if they get a vacation every summer. Oh. Yeah. Also, they they stop working at, like, if you're, you know, in high school, like, 2.30 p.m. And if you're in public school, 3.30 p.m. Uh, lazy much? Yeah. Get Back a Back in the job. old days, you would work five days a week for 18 hours a day. So, Teaching. sorry. If your material conditions are better than that of the humble's chimney sweep, I ain't got time of day for you. If you if you come home each day and you have all four fingers and your thumb still intact, sorry, you ain't really uh, working on the front line of labor. All you're doing is babysitting 25 to, in one case, one class at my school has 59 students in it. Oh my yeah. God. It's, I'm not kidding. That's so fucking crazy. I almost choked, like, on my meal when I heard that. Uh, So you're teaching anywhere between 25 to 60 little psychopaths who have had their brains fried by TikTok, Mr. Beast, and (laughs) all manner of some of the most depraved stuff you can see that doesn't involve beheading, you know, infidels. So, uh, teachers, have it too easy. COVID, it's over. Unless you are in a school, and then it is the eternal sleep that is the only cure. So that's what we call Jesse's stance on education. And if you would like to send it to my employers, uh, please clip every part. Uh, Megan will Megan will post my my personal information in the description. Yeah, yeah sounds good. <laughs> you can harangue and harass me and get me fired. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of closing schools, I you know I feel like. I can't wait for when that also happens to hospitals. Like, this province <laughs> is just doing immaculately. Yeah. Thank you. Everybody in the public service of Ontario is super happy and well compensated right now. That's that's cool. Things have never been better. But speaking of 18-hour days and cutting your fingers off with workplace injury, Ooh. I have a good news story for our main topic yeah, today. Is- I, I almost don't know how to talk about this. I, well, I, I was worry. racking I was wet, racking my brain being like, what am I going to say? Because like, I'm just not conditioned to something like good happening. I'm I pretty mean, sure there's still may- challenges. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure like maybe it's not going to happen actually. Or this is some sort of, you know, some sort of devil's trick. But we'll see. No, but it, but it is cool. We sh- let's dive in. So 
Uh, this is in reference to the recent Am- sorry, Amazon, Amazon <laughs> unionization in Staten Island, New York. So the first article, I have a few articles here I'm going to cover. So the first one's in the New York Times. Uh, it's by Karen Weiss and Noam Scheiber. So it is a warehouse on Staten Island. Uh, it's This is described as the biggest win for organized labor in a generation. Uh, employees mm-hmm. cast 2,650 votes to be represented by Amazon Labor Union in 2001. 131 against giving the union a win by more than 10 percentage points, according to the National Labor Relations Board, which is actually considered quite good. Like everyone says, like, this is quite a wide margin to win a unionization effort by. So props to them. Uh, Just to give some background, this article covers that Last year, 10.3% of American workers were in unions, which is the lowest rate in decades, despite high demand for workers after the pan- or after uh, in the recovery of the pandemic. But, quote, critics, including some labor officials, say that traditional unions haven't spent enough money or shown enough imagination in organizing campaigns and that they have often bet on the wrong fights. Some point to tawdry corruption scandals. The union victory at Amazon, the first at the company in the United States after years of worker activism there, offers an enormous opportunity to change that trajectory and build on recent wins. Many union leaders regard Amazon as an existential threat to labor standards because Mm -hmm. it touches so many industries and frequently dominates them. But the win by a little-known independent union with few ties to existing groups appears to raise as many questions for the labor movement as it answers, not least whether there is something fundamentally broken with the traditional bureaucratic union model that can be solved only by replacing it with grassroots organizations like the one in Staten Island. So this is um, a union that was created specifically for this case, this Staten Island case. They are definitely going to expand. I'll touch on that later. They already have a vote scheduled for another warehouse in Staten Island for this month. And they say that like any part of Amazon that wants to be part of their union is welcome to. But this is not an existing union, whereas most of the time when unionization pushes happen, it's like with a like a longstanding, more bureaucratic, like bigger union. For example, the most recent um, push for unionization in Amazon uh, was in Alabama. There was two votes a year apart. The first vote failed, which I'm going to cover that in more detail as well. Mm -hmm. But uh, that was with the Retail Workers Union of the U.S. So it is an existing union that already has members. And they're coming in as like an outside union saying like, you guys should join us. This is like a relevant field. Um, And obviously it's a union that still represents them and it's still good. But there's so much campaigning from companies that don't want their workers to unionize saying like don't let these third party companies come in and take your money in the form of union dues whereas this guy so i'm gonna again i'll go into him later but this guy that um started all this his name is chris smalls he's a genius and he was like the people at this factory i know for a fact like they will respond better for an Amazon specific union that like they design and we're going to like work with the people in this factory to like make up a brand new union. And it worked, which is really impressive. Um, So yeah, I literally never thought I would live to see the day that any (laughs) Amazon facility was unionized. So for this one to come, when I say out of nowhere, I mean, in terms of like mainstream coverage, uh, was really shocking and like one of the few unequivocally delightful things in my life right now. Yeah, and mm-hmm. like I think it's safe to say that it did come from out of nowhere because like I like this week was just like scanning through all of the like at least the big Canadian papers and not a single word about this uh, massive breakthrough. Yeah, the the main coverage on this specific union push I found from earlier, so from 2021, was in The Guardian and Jacobin. So it Mm -hmm. definitely wasn't like a Washington Post, New York Times kind of thing to be reporting on. But I will say um, the New York Times did a really good job actually in sort of galvanizing this because they did a huge investigative report into this specific warehouse 
as an example of horrible Amazon working conditions. They were like, this is like to a T, what is wrong with Amazon? And they did like a full expose and that apparently like really helped with the the union push there as well. So um, yeah, in general, I know very little about labor politics. I feel like one time we should get an actual organizer on here and talk about it because at the beginning I was like, I barely knew the difference between a union that's created for a specific company and a broader union of employees in general. But the Amazon spokesperson said, we're disappointed with the outcome of the election in Staten Island because we believe having a direct relationship with the company is best for our employees. Of course, Um, that's extreme cap. There is a shocking amount of cap going on here. Didn't they also say that they were going to like target the National Labor Review Board specifically for this? Yeah, so part of the strategy of Smalls and the other organizers was to show the benefits of what a union can do while they were campaigning. So they actually brought a number of grievances to the like US uh, National Labor Board mm-hmm. and Amazon was found guilty in some cases and in one case they had to change their rules allowing f- for more organizing like on site at their warehouses. And so now Amazon is being like, well, the National Labor Board interfered and changed <laughs> everyone's opinions. So it's not fair. Um, That's right. <laughs> You're yeah. not allowed to change any opinions. Look, we're the only <laughs> ones that are allowed to cheat. When we say that, you know, on our app that the company has to use, you can't type the word union or you can't say things like I hate or like fair wages or that's different. Yeah, we invented that. So we're allowed to say that Uh, National Labor Review Board, you didn't invent us. So you're not allowed to say these things. All right. It's a pretty simple equation here. Yeah. How much money did Amazon spend like fighting this union drive? Wasn't it like tens of millions of dollars? Wait, I have the number here. Give me one second. Oh, um, they spent four point three million on anti-union <laughs> consultants alone. So I don't know how much it was oh, like broader than that. Way more than because if you're paying like the McKinsey freaks who like jack off on a sock together to consult, and like imagine the kind of sterling insight you would get from the Mayor Pete type. Uh, McKinsey people where it's like ah <laughs> oh, well uh, I think you should tell them that if they have a union uh, they won't make as much money it's like great thank you for the insight <laughs> tips yeah they actually had the consultants like roam the floor and try to scare people and um, <laughs> Smalls claimed that like in a lot of cases they were just like really racist which oh, awesome not good that's yeah uh, that, that completely tracks though the kind like, of demographics that work in warehouse positions hmm just going yeah. around and like the McKinsey guy is like trying to tell him a union is bad, but is doing it in like a culturally insensitive voice. Well, I don't even think it's that. I think it's more like them saying like, hey, know your place. I know. It's just funny to be like some some like 29 year old, like button shirted Harvard freak doing like AAV to try to connect to the warehouse workers. <laughs> He's talking like Dennis from Always Sunny. It's like, why, why do you purse your lips like that, Dennis? Jesus. I actually have the stat later. I'll, I can't find it in the document, but when, when we get to it, I'll say it. But I think it's that 60% of Amazon's warehouse workers are people of color and like only 20% of management and like corporate positions are people of color in Amazon. So yeah, it's definitely like a racialized workforce, um, like extremely racially like disparate between the, the positions. So yeah, that's obviously a huge factor in this too, is that the main organizers were black um, and were targeted by like Amazon executives. Again, one of the examples is that the main guy, the main spokesperson for Amazon said that Chris Smalls is like dumb and not very eloquent and that they should Mm -hmm. like pin the entire movement on him because everyone's going to think he's dumb. Um, And obviously like they thought because he is black and like wears like chains they're like no one's gonna take yeah. this guy seriously but haha on them yeah <laughs> it backfired yeah <laughs> and everyone loves him he's got like chains and a do-rag and tattoos and he was just like giving people weed to convince them to join the <laughs> yeah. union like he's okay. the coolest motherfucker alive <laughs> that honestly if somebody walked up to me and just offered me yeah like a fucking dime bag i'd be like yeah all right like i'll hear yeah. you out well like yeah yeah like that starts the conversation but <laughs> yeah. uh yeah, no, like they they completely uh, fumbled the bag. I know um, Amazon, like a day or two after 
the union drive was successful, uh, was posting uh, like positions for like upper management, like communications and marketing uh, guys. Mm-hmm. So I, I imagine everyone who was like, oh, yeah, like the smalls guy, make him the spokesperson, uh, got canned. <laughs> but yeah. uh, didn't Smalls himself get canned? Uh, yes, like he, he had did. worked yeah. at that warehouse originally? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to get to that. I, I'm going to just go back on track here so I don't miss anything. Uh, so before this, like the two votes I was talking about in Alabama, um, one was like last year or 2020, and then one was recently earlier this year. So the one earlier failed, which gave mm-hmm. a lot of um, tactics to the Staten Island group being like, okay, let's look at what didn't work there. And then they voted again earlier this year, but again, it was to join the retail, wholesale and department store union. Um, That vote for unionization was actually so close that it's being contested in court now. I don't know Mm. if they're doing like a recount or they're just like litigating certain unclear ballots, but it's looking like they won't succeed, unfortunately, and they won't join the union. Um, But the authors predict that Amazon will now face years of pressure at other company facilities facilities. Um, recent strings of unionizations at Starbucks show how one place can uh, impact others in the same company. So Amazon has 1.6 million workers globally and is plagued by high turnover. The report I was talking about earlier by the New York Times, when they were investigated, they found um, tons of firings, what they called like basically random firings because they at Amazon, they're so strict about metrics and it's all done by computer measurements. So people would be fired from this factory without ever talking to a human. Like the computer would just tell you you're fired for not hitting your metrics or for missing too many days. And like, there's no one you can complain to. And then Amazon was also, especially at that specific factory, was really bad with if someone quit or was fired, they just wouldn't replace them. So it was just putting like more and more and more pressure on the workers at this warehouse. And they were working like 10, 12 hour days aside from commuting from other parts of New York to Staten Island. So like three hour commute sometimes. And 80% of their workforce um, takes public transit to get to this warehouse. So not a good job, obviously. Amazon said it was evaluating its options, including potentially filing an objection to inappropriate undue influence by the National Labor Relations Board, um, which is what I was talking about earlier. The company will appeal and drag it out. It's going to be an ongoing fight, said Gene Bruskin, a longtime organizer who helped notch one of labor's last victories on this scale at a Smithfield meat processing plant back in 2008 Hmm. um, and has informally advised the Staten Island workers. The labor movement has to figure out how to support them, he says. So Sean O'Brien, the new president of the 1.3 million person member International Brotherhood of Teamsters, said in an interview on Thursday that the union was prepared to spend hundreds of millions of dollars unionizing Amazon and to collaborate with a variety of other unions and progressive groups. So they said they've got a lot of partners in labor. Um, We've got community groups. It's going to be a large coalition. And I just wanted to put a side note because I checked this Wikipedia page that this union, the Teamsters Union, was the one run by Jimmy Hoffa. Uh, (laughs) And until last year, the president... (laughs) <laughs> the president was Jimmy Hoffa's son until 2021. Teamsters oh. get the job done, man. But Sorry. now it's Sean O'Brien. But interestingly, I um, I, I have they a, hired like, an Irish guy. Uh, <laughs> Jim, Jimmy would be so disappointed. <laughs> Wasn't Jimmy Hoffa Irish? Is that not an Hoffa? Irish name? Is it Italian? I don't know. I'm gonna find out, Megan. You're gonna you're gonna look like a fool or a genius here. Uh, I'm gonna type in Jimmy Hoffa Italian. Okay. It just took me to Jimmy Hoffa. Is Jimmy Hoffa Italian? Hoffa was born in Brazil, Indiana. (laughs) His uh, German descent. Oh, there you go. Uh, Okay, I'm not going to read this last line because it's German American. His mother was of Irish ancestry. Damn it. Win. Maybe Sean O'Brien's Italian. You never know. He's in a movie. Like, the movie is called The Irishman. What's not about him? He's in it. The movie's about Frank Sheehan, who is (laughs) Irish. He's in the movie. The the word men implies multiple (laughs) Irish people in the movie. They're all Irish. Megan's like, damn. There's so many godfathers in The Godfather. Wow. Man. But it's called The Godfather. This one's called The Irish Men. Man, the Irish Man. In that movie, no. Matt Damon is a zoo. That's crazy. 
Yeah. You guys are idiots. <laughs> I'm, yeah. also, I'm Megan, right and the, you're being Megan, so defensive. It's called the Irish man, not the it, Irish men. No, it's not. Yes, it is. <laughs> I'm literally looking at it, lady. We're both oh, wrong. shit, it is. Oh, God. What are you talking about? What? I swear this is like a Berenstein Bears thing. Was the, it called the, the Irish Men at no, some point? No. The, the smartest <laughs> podcast on the left. That's right. Oh, my God. This is what happens when you invade male spaces. You're trying to. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Yeah, you're trying to woman's plane right now. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. It. Back to the story, though. Um, Smalls has said that they're going to try and do this as independently as possible. Again, because I was talking about earlier, they don't really want to join existing really large unions. So I don't know if they will actually partner with this Teamsters thing. I just thought it was funny with the Hoffa guy. So for some employees, the stress of working at the warehouse, um, so this is due to the very high productivity monitoring standards that would often cause people to be fired or lose benefits, uh, during COVID outbreaks was a radicalizing experience that led them to take action. So Mr. Smalls, who is the president of the Amazon Labor Union, said he became alarmed in March 2020 after encountering a coworker who was clearly ill. He pleaded with management to close the facility for two weeks. The company fired him after he helped lead a walkout over safety convi- conditions in late March that year. So the company says that they fired him for breaking social distancing rules and attending the rally when he was supposed to be quarantining. Probably not huh. true. They probably fired him for organizing a march within the warehouse. Yeah, but but yeah. when when the consultants were walking around the warehouse and trying to tell people, uh, you know, to not ever talk to that Smalls character, they weren't spreading COVID. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Gotcha. You got it. <laughs> so, yes, you were right. He was an employee for a long time, and then he was fired two years before this the events of this um unionization so since he's been fired he's been like really working to unionize that's been like his full-time job basically and he did it <laughs> so after witnessing the retail union fail at in alabama last year uh, so the first of those two votes um despite high profile coverage and visits from people like bernie sanders small and his friend Derek palmer set up at a bush bus stop outside of the warehouse barbecuing and sometimes handing out weed and the company began mandating attendance at anti-union meetings that was the 4.3 million on the anti-union consultant and they actually arrested smalls and other organizers for trespassing when he came to deliver food to workers jesus christ yeah so literally they were arrested during this, which I think also he was saying he thinks did a lot for making people go, wow, they're really fucking afraid of us. Like, this yeah. is awesome. So that's pretty cool. Um, so the authors say the difference in outcomes in Bessemer, Alabama and Staten Island may reflect a difference in receptiveness towards unions in the two states. Roughly 6% of workers in Alabama are union members versus 22% in New York, as well as the difference um, between a mail-in election in Alabama and one conducted in person in New York. But it may also suggest the advantages of organizing through an independent worker-led union. In Alabama, union officials and professional organizers were still barred from the facility under the settlement with the labor board. But at the Staten Island site, a large portion of the union leadership and organizers were current employees. And to quote Palmer, you can't beat workers organizing other workers. So the independence of the Amazon labor union also appeared to undermine Amazon's anti-union talking points, which cast the union as an interloping third party. So that's how that article ends. So I have some more articles I'm going to get into now. But any comments before I move on? Uh, no, I mean, it's it's incredible that Amazon managed to fumble this so much with how much anti-union sentiment there is, like, broadly encouraged in the United States, that uh, you managed to spend all this money and fuck up this seemingly indisputable monopoly uh, because you just couldn't stop being racist and mean to, like, one guy in particular. Mm-hmm. So the next article is an opinion by Binyamin Applebaum in the New York Times again. Um, so they argue the number of high-profile unionizations is a false dawn. The number of American workers who are represented by unions drops with almost every passing year, mm-hmm. reached a new low last year, that 10.3% I talked about. Um, it will not recover unless the federal government changes the rules of the game. So both federal protections and the enforcement of those protections are grossly inadequate, they say. Um, president Biden is pretty outspoken as a president for unions, but the author argues that this is not a good thing. It means that unions are like 
not scary enough that the president is willing to be like, yeah, join a union. Good luck. Like, have fun. Um, Yeah. I heard they were trying to put a union in the rainforest. And I was wondering, you know, they got all sorts of cats there. And I I shouldn't be saying this. Uh, I I, I heard you you want a union, Jack. Well, I don't like that country very much. (laughs) Yeah, although I I do love Prime Minister Thatcher's work we do together. Is so important in creating the G7 nations. <laughs> it's it's great. Honestly, some days I do feel like Joe Biden. I am smoking that Biden pack, and it's the kind of shit that makes me stutter. <laughs> yeah, it does. I do. I apologize to my mother when I start to talk to her. <laughs> uh, sorry, Megan, please. Continue. Oh, no. <laughs> so the, the president, that is true, though. If the president supports the union, it doesn't, it means that unions broadly don't have anything in the re- way of like real power compared to the corporate interests which actually dominate well yeah all it's, aspects it's, of politics it's the same way that biden can say that he you know su- supports uh you know green energy or something you know it's it's <laughs> something so like that is so much of a non-entity in the country that you can just you know pledge fealty to it and it doesn't matter because you know obviously no one's going to ask you to actually you know uh hold yourself to any standard when it comes to that topic yeah it's all lip service yeah yeah so the author argues that standard talking points are the they're saying that when people point to the decline of unionization they say two things generally which are the decline in industrialized labor in general and that the government now does the job of a union in protecting workers as they wrote into law many of the pushes of early organized labor However, um, they argue that federal oversight is an imperfect substitute for ensuring that workers can define and defend Mm -hmm. their own collective interests. Just this week, three Senate Democrats blocked the confirmation of David Whale to the Labor Department's Wage and Hour Division, which is supposed to protect workers. Mr. Whale held the same job under President Obama and earned a reputation for trying to do it. For example... By seeking to prevent companies from improperly treating workers as contractors, employers did not want an encore. So one of the senators said, I heard from a lot of business owners. That was Senator Mark Kelly of Arizona, um, one of the Democrats. And that was his way of justifying opposing this man's like appointed position. So obviously... Both Democrats and Republicans do not have the interests of workers at heart. What? Um, The share of workers who want to be in a union is much higher than those who are actually in one. Mm. Um, And then the author says, almost as soon as it had legalized collective bargaining in the 1930s, Congress began to backtrack, constraining American unions more tightly than unions and other democracies. The government has gradually granted employers wide-ranging powers to frustrate unionization campaigns through propaganda, via threatened and actual mistreatment of workers, and by closing operations if workers vote to unionize. To the extent that some tactics remain illegal, companies rarely suffer anything more than token penalties. So the House passed legislation to try and fix some of this last year, backed by the president, um, that would address some of these abuses, but it died in the Senate. Um, So the workers at Staten Island managed to overcome all of these obstacles that this author is talking about. So it's obviously really commendable. Um, They were basically just saying, like, it is an extremely hard slog to become unionized in the U.S. right now. Um, And the author concludes with saying the victory is still incomplete. The vote establishes the union as the official representative of the JFK 8. That's what they call the Staten Island um, warehouse workers. But companies often refuse to negotiate. An analysis of union votes in 2007 found that among the roughly 900 groups of workers who voted to engage in collective bargaining, fewer than half obtained a first contract within the following year. Three years later, almost a third had still not obtained that first contract. So this is something that Smalls is aware of. He said in interviews that like he is now really focused on trying to get a contract. That's like the whole point of this um, unionization. So hopefully they're able to overcome that as well because they've obviously been really innovative and know what they're doing. But yeah, it is definitely still a tough time for them. Um, the next article, <laughs> I'm just going to move on, um, is in Teen Vogue. I Yes. I've read some Teen Let's Vogue go. articles on this show before. They do a lot of journalism now. Hmm. You know, they're woke. Fun. They're cool. 
Yeah, um, it's by Anna Gifty Opoku Ajumen and Katie Camacho Orona. Um, and their argument is that Smalls is like part of the legacy of uh, a history of black labor organizing. They, they begin with like a bit of background in the 30s. So in 1938, Congress passed the Fair Labor Standards Act, a, Act, a landmark piece of legislation enshrining protection for workers, yet it excluded domestic, agricultural, and tipped workers, purposely denying many black and brown people the same rights and protections given to white workers. Um, and then fast forward to 2019, at nearly every educational level, black workers are twice as likely to be unemployed. Historically, on average, the black unemployment rate changes by 1.7 percentage points for every one percentage point of change in the national unemployment rate. So I just found these kind of stats really interesting. I, I like had never heard that before. Um, given well-documented and persistent patterns of racial inequality in employment, when the unemployment rate soared during the early months of the COVID pandemic, black workers and especially black women were disproportionately affected. And those workers have experienced the slowest economic recovery. Oh, and this is where we got the quote saying, in 2020, Amazon's own demographic data also revealed that nearly 63% of its warehouse and call center workers were black, Latino, Native American, or multiracial, compared to approximately 21% of its corporate work workforce. Um, and it was Amazon's general counsel, David Zapolsky, so mm. evil man, who mm. suggested that making Chris Smalls the most interesting part of the story, and if possible, making him the face of the entire union organization movement would kill the movement itself. So they are, go on to argue in this article that like all of these problems have had resistance always. And like it is not like the face of unionizations and labor movements is not necessarily like a white person, which is what sometimes it's seen as. Like, black people have been doing this forever and obviously are really well-versed in doing it and are really successful. Uh, oh, so this is just some background or some information about the demands that they want. Um, this is a CBS article um, by Christopher Brooks. Um, and Small said, in the last 48 hours, I've definitely been contacted by workers from all over the country that want to start their own Amazon labor union. We're going to absolutely help them. So their union's listed demands include higher pay, more promotions, and better working conditions. The union is asking Amazon to raise associates' pay by 7.5% to match mm. the soaring rate of inflation, reinstate 20-minute breaks, and provide a shuttle for workers. And they all, I also found out in this article that Amazon is the country's second largest private employer behind Walmart. Oh, wow. two excellent companies. You know, yeah. they're, they're like families. And that's why you don't need to hire or create a union to advocate for you. Because, you know, when you have a problem with your dad or your uncle or your brother, you hash it out like family. You get into the backyard, you run the hose on the lawn until it gets nice and muddy and wet. And then you take your shirts off and you roll around. And that's that's what we like to do here at Amazon. We like to get real wet and dirty with you. God, could you imagine? Uh, I feel like, you know, obviously unions are the best option we have. But if you could just put, you know, the boardroom guys on a muddy field with the warehouse guys and just see oh. how that shakes out. Mm. It's like some of the warehouse guys would have heart attacks and die. But I promise you, most of them would just absolutely uh, turn these pussies inside out. They, they, but they would do so and go to Valhalla. You know, like yeah. they would die a warrior's death. It's like you would have a gigantic warehouse guy who like popped a coronary, but like fell and crushed three boardroom guys. And <laughs> it's like that man essentially has done more to combat the evil that is Moloch than any of us combined. Oh, yeah. And it's like when the boardroom guys die, their legs curl up like the Wicked Witch, and then their souls just <laughs> sink deep into the earth. Yeah, there's just a big, like, black, inky tar spot where their body used to be. Yeah, they die like cuphead bosses. <laughs> uh, so this is a Guardian article by Stephen Greenhouse, and I just want to go through some of his tactics here of how he managed to do this. So he said... Uh, we have to think about 21st century style unionizing. This is Smalls talking. It's how do we build up the worker solidarity? Established unions don't really know Amazon and what it is to work at Amazon. Mm -hmm. Amazon Amazon is a home base for me. A lot of people know me here. It's helping our effort to get cards signed and get people on board. Um, so he spent 10 or more hours a day at the union's tent at the bus stop signing up workers. They have to get... To, to start a union vote, you have to get 30% of the workforce to sign up to agree. Um, 
to be part of the union or to at least have the vote. I'm not really sure exactly what they're signing up for, but you need 30% of them to sign to have that vote. So that's what they were trying to do at that bus stop. So Smalls was first hired by Amazon in 2015, and he was actually performing so well that the company transferred him to the Staten Island warehouse to train workers when it opened in 2018. At first, I liked working at Amazon, he said, but that obviously changed over the years when I realized there's some deep systemic issues at Amazon. He said that Amazon's injury rate is too high, that they discriminate Mm. against older workers in hiring, the female workers are often mistreated, that workers are often fired when they face family emergencies and run out of time off. He also complained of racial discrimination. I applied to be a manager 49 times and never got it, Small said. I knew that there was some favoritism and racism that took place. A union could help on all these matters. So 49 times after he was moved to a new factory for doing so well, they denied him to be a manager so that he could join like the managerial class of the warehouse 49 times. That's um, insane. And then they fired him. <laughs> so wow. And it worked out really well for them. Yeah. No, uh, they are uh, just, uh, they're smart. I don't, I don't know what else to say. They're like really, obviously the smartest guys in the room. And the people who should be making the decisions. So some of the tactics that Amazon used during this was sending anti-union texts to workers, posting anti-union signs in the bathroom and surveying the unionization efforts. Um, But it turns out, uh, I got this from a later article, but when the New York Times came in to do the piece, they had to like quickly take everything down so that the New York Times wouldn't report on it. So he said that actually helped because it stopped all the stupid postering. And Small said a big part of it was sharing everything on social media. Amazon had been desperate to try and destroy and discredit the union, um, and that makes them look bad, and it's backfiring on them. As in Alabama, Amazon is telling workers that they don't need a union or the burden of paying union dues. Small's response, unionized workers make $11,000 more per year than non-union workers on average. And who cares if you pay $1,000 in union dues when you're making $11,000 more as a union member? Uh, Which is true. And then I just want to close out today. I have a Jacobin interview with him where I just wrote down some of my favorite quotes. So Mm. he's just like a really awesome person. And I just want to read some of them because they're really fun. Okay, so some good ones include this is literally referring to the bus stop. This is literally across the street. We're visible every day. I think even management can see us from their windows. It's kind of fun because it's a different energy. I just like the the notion that the, the executives are sitting there all grumpy and they're like partying yeah. across the street at this bus stop <laughs> because they were literally having barbecues. Like they yeah. brought barbecues and grilled food every day and like handed out free stuff. So I do love grumpy people looking on for that. Uh, and then referring to some of the tactics of um, Amazon would constantly call the fire department on them to try and get them removed from the bus stop because they're like, this must be a zoning issue. Make oh them leave. God. And Small said, it all failed because the fire department, the police, the bus drivers, and the construction workers building the Amazon facilities are all unionized. Amazon <laughs> is surrounded by unions and none of them want to intervene want to intervene against our efforts because they know what we're doing is the right thing for these workers. They know the horror stories of Amazon. They know the horror stories of these workers, which wow. I just thought was so funny. The fire trucks showing up and being like, mm, I'm Imagine just going to leave this one. Imagine getting curbed by the cops because you're too insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Imagine uh, the police being like, I don't know about this, uh, <laughs> this Amazon. Uh, I heard they, they got cheetahs and tigers in there. Why is your New York accent kind of French? No, he's uh, he's kind of just a gruff simpleton. Okay. Um, and so this also messed me up. He said, uh, we know the high turnover is against us, that the clock is against us. When we get cards signed, we don't know how long these workers are going to last at Amazon. We've had workers sign and get fired the next day. It happens. Ooh. The beauty of it is that JFK 8 has been around for three years, whereas the building in Bessemer had only been around for a year. So that was the Alabama one he was referring to. And then the last part was this like stupid thing that Amazon introduced that was like a box, like a telephone box that you would stand in, not as an oh, actual yes. break, as a, a 30 second like meditation. Uh, it's called Amazon. Um, so he said they started this Amazon when I was still employed. They had a rollout where you're at your station working and a message would come up and that would say, take 30 seconds to meditate. 30 seconds is interrupting my flow. When you're working there, you don't want to be interrupted. You want to be in your flow. You're not even trying to think about the time. Some people cover the time on their machines because they don't want to see it. 
They just want to get their shift over. To be interrupted to meditate for 30 seconds and you're working 10 hours, 11 hours, is just a waste of time. A lot of workers don't like it. That's what we get when you have someone making decisions for warehouse workers who have never been in that work environment and don't know what we're going through. That's what happens all the time with this company. They roll out these different things thinking that it's going to benefit us, but it doesn't. What helps workers are longer breaks, shorter work days, having time to be with their families, higher pay, etc., these things that they're rolling out don't do anything. From what I've heard, everyone's making fun of it and doesn't like it. <laughs> so that's my last thing I have here. Uh, I just want to say props to them. They popped a bottle of champagne when they won. It was really awesome. So yeah, yeah. no. What that are you guys' rules. final thoughts? Uh, I just like also to mention in my very own Buffalo, New York, uh, had recently. I don't know if we talked about this on the show, but in December, the Starbucks right downtown. And then shortly Mm -hmm. after, the other Starbucks both won unionization bids and became Mm. the first unionized Starbucks in the country, which Mm -hmm. is insanely cool. And I was reading, uh, this isn't my own thought, I just like saw a tweet thread, I can't remember who said this, but they had an interesting point where a major tactic used by companies to thwart unions is uh, just threatening to pick up and move. Uh, that's been mm-hmm. like since time in immemorial. It's like okay, well, we'll just shut down the mine, and you people can all starve. Fuck you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you're a massive like global conglomerate, that like the brand is that they're everywhere all the time, like Amazon, like uh, Starbucks. You you don't have that weapon at your disposal. You know, it's just something to think about. Like as you know these. Uh, companies become like these massive monopolies uh, that, you know, are ubiquitous. Uh, So too are their workers. They are ubiquitous. You're going to have to deal with them everywhere you go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was I was thinking about that a lot, too, because I was like, I feel like unions started because there were these massive companies that employed everybody like steelworkers, like there was probably not that many steel companies. It was a lot of like the feudal or sorry, the gilded age and stuff like that. So I was like, originally I was thinking when I was starting this, I was like, oh my God, how did these companies get so huge and like employ so many people? But there's always been industries like that. And the answer is just to unionize and they're doing it. And it's awesome. Because yeah, if you want to have one day shipping to the entire country, you need a warehouse in every single county, basically. Mm -hmm. So yeah, pretty fun. Yeah, but uh, really insanely good news, uh, sort of hard to process or hold in your head uh, for any amount of time. But yeah, uh, thank you, Megan, for for brightening my day, as always. Of course. Jesse, any closing thoughts? Uh, no, it's tremendous to see such a massive, high-profile victory for organized labor. Let's hope it's the first of many. And uh, shouts out to Chris Smalls who has now surpassed Chris Chan as my favorite Chris of all... Well, second favorite Chris of all time. Mm. My favorite is listening to this show. and uh, you Of know, course, yeah. You got to represent. So Chris Smalls, second greatest Chris in the world, according to me. Cool. Well, thanks for listening. We will see you next week, and bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.